السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يبقه قولي ربنا زدنا علما So inshallah today we will begin from باب التسليم But before we begin, a couple of things about what we have covered so far. In our previous class, we learned about two things. One with respect to tawarruq and the other with respect to raising of the finger in tashahud. So first of all, with regards to tawarruq, I had mentioned to you earlier two ways of tawarruq. And what is tawarruq? The sitting position in the last tashahud. Meaning, in which a person will say taslim, How is it that a person should be sitting? That method is known as tawarruq. And the two ways that I mentioned to you already were that first way is that a person, his right foot should be positioned upright such that the toes are flexed facing the qibla and the left foot is where? Taken out from the right side of the person and he's sitting on his hips. This is one way. The other way is that the same position, the only difference is that the right foot is positioned in such a way that the toes are not facing the qibla. Rather, the foot is just laid down so that the toes are facing the back. You understand? Meaning the right foot is just laid down. It's not, the toes are not facing the qibla. This is the second position. The third way that we also learn from the sunnah, and it's actually mentioned in a hadith in Sahih Muslim, in which we learned that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, a hadith in Sahih Muslim, that Abdullah ibn Zubayr said that when the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam sat during the prayer, he would place his left foot between his thigh and calf. And his right foot would be tucked underneath him. So right foot is tucked in the same way so that the toes are not facing the qibla. And where is the left foot? It is positioned between the thigh and the shin. So your right leg, you know, you're sitting, it's folded, right? So the left foot is above the right Leg, you can say. You understand? Under the thigh, above the shin. So it's like between your leg. Clear? Let me show you a picture, because I'm sure most of you have never seen this, okay? Nor have you done this. So for this, I feel that showing a picture is necessary. And the online students, they have also shared the picture with your in charge, so hopefully you should see it at the same time. So listen to the words of the hadith. He would place his left foot between his thigh and calf. See? Between his thigh and calf. So the left foot is under the thigh. And where is it? Above the calf, the shin of the right leg. You see it in the picture. Huh? Everybody try it right now. Everybody, even people who are sitting on the chairs. If you're able to sit on the ground. That's right. Good, mashallah. So let me just take a quick walk and see. Okay, who finds this uncomfortable and who finds this comfortable? You find it comfortable? Okay. What about you, auntie? You like the other position. Okay. This is also permissible. You see, you know what is easy about this position? That your legs are more relaxed. Your thighs, they're more open. Aren't they? Your knees are more far apart. 
So your knees are more far apart. Now every person is different, right? In the way that they can sit. So for some people it's easier to have their knees close together. And for others it is easier to have their knees apart. So whatever is more convenient for a person, that is what they can do. Alright? And this is mentioned in which hadith? It is in Sahih Muslim. So there, there are three approved ways of, three masnoon ways of tawarruq. Clear? So maybe start practicing this also, those of you who are able, because reviving a sunnah is something that is very, very good. So remember that when there is different ways that are uh, reported, then what is best that a person must follow, must adopt all those ways. So for example, certain adhkar. So for instance, when getting up from rukur, what is it that a person says? Rabbana lakal hamd or Allahumma rabbana lakal hamd. There's four different versions, right? So what did we learn? What is best that a person must use? All different ones. Because this keeps the sunnah alive. And when the sunnah is kept alive, then what does it mean? There is more options for people which will only create ease for them. Right? When we restrict ourselves to just one way, then what happens? First of all, the sunnah is going to be forgotten. It's going to be unknown. And secondly, people are restricted to that one way, either this way or no way. Right? And that creates difficulty for the people. Clear? So these are the three ways of the barruk, which are all authentic. After this, with regards to the shahud, the raising of the finger, one more thing that I'd like to clarify about raising of the finger is that the Prophet ﷺ, his action when it was described, the words of the hadith are رَفَعَ He raised his finger. But then it is not mentioned رَفَعَ وَخَفَضَ رَفَعَ وَخَفَضَ That he raised it and he put it down. He raised it and he put it down. You understand? What is mentioned? That he just رَفَعَ And then يُحَرِّكُ And then he would move it. So, and we also learned that the purpose of raising the finger is to make it point towards the Qibla. Because if the finger is not raised up, then what is it facing? Down. Right? The finger is bent. So the, the objective is that it should constantly face the Qibla. And now, once you've raised it up, when is it that you're going to move it? When? Bid-du'a. With the words of du'a. Okay, so it's not that you have to keep moving it up and down, up and down, up and down. What is it that you do? You raise it. It's facing the qibla. Every time you say words of du'a, then follow the sunnah. You harriku, do haraka. Okay, and what is that haraka supposed to be like? You know, gently vibrated or right, left, or whatever is easy for a person. And this is why we see so many different ways. Some people make it go round and round in circles, other people right and left. And like I mentioned to you, this is all a matter of ishtihad. Scholars gave different ways of tahrik. Clear? When you sit in the shahud, you raise it. Because this is what is narrated. Right? Uh, did you try this? That with every dua, any experience that you'd like to share? Yes. Okay, good. That you really had to pay attention. Focused on the meaning and what you're saying. And this is the purpose of learning all these fine details of salah. That we learn about the sunan. Why? So that there's no moment in salah where we can allow ourselves to be distracted. Because generally what happens is that when a person does something so often, you know, he goes on autopilot. And then you're doing something, you're saying something, but you zone out. 
right? But when you're following these sunnas, so for example, in tashahud, you are going to raise your finger and only going to move it when you're saying the words of dua, then you're really paying attention. Because your words and your movement have to be together. Right? They have to coincide. They have to be aligned. Likewise, when you're moving from rukur into uh, you know, standing position or from standing position into sujood, we learned over and over again, Imam Bukhari has mentioned separate abuab for this, that the takbir should be with the movement. And when you're focused on that, my takbir should be with the movement, you know, they have to be aligned. It really helps you pay more attention. You cannot be distracted if you want to follow these sunnah. Right? So from the beginning of the prayer until the end of the prayer and even after the prayer, when you learn about the sunan, it, it will only help you better perform your salah, inshallah. Qasr prayer is not if you need it. Qasr is that when you are traveling, you don't have an option. You have to shorten your prayer. It's not like it's more virtuous or it's an ease. If you want to take it, then take it. No, you have to shorten your prayer during travel because that is what the Prophet ﷺ taught. Right? But when it comes to this that when a person is getting up from sujood into standing position, right, in the first rakah, in the third rakah, uh, is he obligated to sit? No. Can he sit? Yes. But if the imam does not sit, then should he sit? No. The ma'moom should not sit. Unless he is not able to stand up, you know, easily. And now I understand your question. If he is able to stand up without sitting, then he should stand up without sitting. Yes. The default is no sitting. Sitting is only when there is a need. And when is there a need? When you feel like you have this feeling, I'm going to lose my balance, or my knees are you know, hurting, or my back is hurting. So it's better if I take it easy on myself and sit before standing up. Or imam is sitting. In that case, you will also sit before standing up. The default is stand up straight. But if that is difficult, then a person should sit and then stand up. Bab Malam Yamsah Jabhatahu wa anfahu hatta salla. Man who lam did not yamsah wipe. The one who did not wipe Jabhatahu his forehead wa anfahu and his nose hatta until salla he performed the prayer, meaning until he finished the prayer. This is also related to sujood. That when a person gets up from sajda, alright, and if, if he was praying, uh, on, you know, mud, on soil, on pebbles, uh, sometimes even on carpet, then it is possible that something gets onto his forehead or his nose. Right? Now what happens is that generally, if you have something on your forehead, on your nose, instantly, you know, you remove it. Right? You will rub it off, you will remove it. Automatically your hand goes up in order to remove it. But what do we see over here that Imam Bukhari is almost encouraging that a person should avoid such movement also. Until when? Until the end of the salah. Earlier we learned that if there is a movement that a person has to make in order to better perform the prayer, in order to have better khushur, and that movement is not technically part of the prayer, can he make that movement? Yes, he can. But here, this movement, is it necessary for khushur in salah? No, it's not. So one must avoid such movements. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ also did not wipe his forehead or his nose until the end of the prayer. 
حدثنا مسلم بن إبراهيم قال حدثنا هشام عن يحيى عن أبي سلمة قال سألت أبا سعيد الخدرية فقال رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يسجد في الماء والطين He said I saw the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم prostrating in water and mud Why? Because it was raining and the ground of the masjid it was wet and because it it was of pebbles of mud so obviously it got uh, you know the, the, the mud was wet and when he prostrated on it it got onto his forehead and his nose. حَتَّى رَأَيْتُ أَثَرَ الطِّينِ فِي And So much so that I saw the traces of that wet mud on his forehead. So in this we see that a person should not wipe his face, keep adjusting you know, their hijab or their clothes unnecessarily during the prayer. He should delay all these movements until the end of the prayer. However, if it is causing other to a person let's say the mud is on their forehead okay the dust is on the forehead falls onto the eyelashes and then from the eyelashes into the eyes okay or there is something on the nose which is you know tickling the nose and a person begins to sneeze right and that sneezing is not stopping or that irritation there is irritation and because of that a person is not able to focus then what is better what is better just quickly remove it so if there is other then remove it. Otherwise, no. Avoid such movements and delay them until the end of the prayer. Bab at-taslim, the taslim, meaning to say the salam. How? By saying, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. And when is it that a person says this taslim? At the end of the prayer. And remember that saying the taslim is one of the pillars of salah, it is one of the essential parts of the salah. And what is its purpose? To exit the salah. Khuruj anil salah. Which means that a person cannot end the prayer, he cannot exit from the prayer without saying the taslim. Because a hadith in Abu Dawood in Tirmidhi, it reports that the Messenger of Allah said, the key to prayer is purification, its start is the takbir, and its exit is the taslim. So, just as the takbir is wajib, in order to begin the salah. Likewise, the taslim is wajib in order to exit from the salah. Haddathana Musa ibn Ismail, Haddathana Ibrahim ibn Sa'din, Haddathana Zuhriyu, An Hindin bint al-Harith. Anna Umma Salamata radiyallahu anha, Qalat, she said, Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Itha sallama qaman nisa'u. That when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would sallama, when he would say the salam, he would say the taslim, then what would happen? Qawman nisa, the women would get up. Hina when, yaqdi, it would be over, taslimahu, his taslim. So basically when the Prophet ﷺ finished saying the taslim, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, then what would happen? The women would get up. وَمَكَثَ يَسِيرًا قَبْلَ أَنْ يَقُومُ And the Prophet ﷺ would remain Yasiran for a little while before he would stand up, Qabla an Yaqum. Meaning when he would end the prayer, he wouldn't just get up immediately. Rather he would stay in his place for a few moments and then he would get up. Qala ibn Shihab, Ibn Shihab said, Fa'ura, wallahu alam, he said, So I think, and Allah knows best, that Anna Muktahu, that his staying, meaning in his place, sitting and not getting up immediately after the Taslim, was why? Likay so that Yan for the nisa'u, the women could leave. 
قَبْلَ أَنْ يُدْرِكَهُنَّ Before someone would perceive them, مَنْ إِنْصَرَفَ مِنَ الْقَوْمِ Whoever would end from among the people. Meaning, he gave this time so that the women could leave comfortably. Because there was no barrier okay, for the people uh, you know, to segregate the women's side from the men's side. And uh, sometimes the rows would also be close together. So the Prophet ﷺ would not get up immediately and this would mean that the people behind him, the men behind him, would also not get up immediately. Why? So that the women could get up comfortably and leave without being in an awkward position, you know, where the men are standing and facing them, waiting for them to go so that they can go. Okay? And this is the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ. So this hadith Imam Bukhari mentions over here to prove that salah ends with the taslim. Because إِذَا سَلَّمَ then قَامَ nisa. The women would wait for him to say the taslim and then they would get up. In other words, when the salah would be over, then the women would get up. So the women understood that the salah does not end except with the taslim. Otherwise, they could have just said the taslim themselves or they could have just gotten up themselves and go. Now, this hadith also shows to us that there is no harm in women praying in the same area as the men, in the same room, in the same hall, a barrier is not necessary. It is easier to have it just so that the women are comfortable, the, the men are comfortable. But there's no harm if there is no barrier. However, the privacy of the women should be respected. Right? Which is why we see that the Prophet ﷺ did not get up himself, did not allow the men to get up so that the women could leave comfortably. Now, with regards to taslim, how many taslims are there? How many times is it that you have to say the salam after the salah? I mean, to end the salah. Once on the right, and once on the left. Okay. So the majority of the scholars said that one taslim is sufficient. Meaning if a person says the salam just once on their right side, that is sufficient. Because there are a hadith that show that only one taslim was said. But on the other hand, there are so many ahadith that also show that the Prophet ﷺ said the taslim twice, once to the right and once to the left. So when there is evidence of two taslims, then what is better? That two should be said. So there are two salams, one to the right and one to the left. And in nafil prayers, in voluntary prayers, and in prayers such as uh, the funeral prayer, one taslim is sufficient. All right? Likewise, after the sujood, the sahu. Okay? It is permissible that a person just says, one taslim. Okay? But because there are so many ahadiths that prove that two taslims were performed, what is best? That two should be said. Now, what are the words of taslim? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Anything else? Wa barakatuh, also. In a hadith in Abu Dawood, Wail ibn Hujr said that I offered the prayer along with the Prophet ﷺ and he would give the taslim to his right saying Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and to his left saying Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah So this is also masnoon that to the right the first taslim with the addition of wa barakatuh and to the left just Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah Alright? So this is also Masnoon. This may be, uh, meaning one may also say Taslim in this manner. There's no harm. But it doesn't mean that you keep adding more and more after Wa Barakatuhu. Okay? No. Stop where the Prophet 
stopped. Okay? And the reason why I'm telling you about this is so that you can enjoy your salah more. Uh, because when you have different things to say, uh, different ways in which you can follow the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa know, it, it brings more joy. I don't know about you, but at least for me, I like it. When there's different words, different du'as, different adhkar, uh, different methods, you know, that variety, it, it brings more beauty. Do you feel like that? Right? Because this world is not one colored. Trees are not all the same type. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept this variation in His creation and in their ibadat that He has instructed us with. In that is also variation. Because as human beings, what happens? With one thing, we get bored. Or when we keep doing one thing for a long period of time, we stop using our brain in that. Right? He should say the salam when the imam says the salam. Meaning the ma'moom, when is it that he should say the salam? When? When the imam says it. Hmm? And this is sunnah. Meaning that the ma'moom should not delay saying the taslim. That it's okay the imam has said the taslim, I'll make two, three more du'as, and then I'll say the taslim. No. The ma'moom has to follow the imam. Right? And how is it that you say the taslim uh, with the imam? What's the method? That when the imam has finished his taslim, then you say the taslim immediately after? Or when he's on his second taslim, you begin your first one. وَكَانَ ابْنُ عُمَرَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا يَسْتَحِبُّ إِذَا سَلَّمَ الْإِمَامُ أَنْ يُسَلِّمَ مَنْ خَلْفَهُ Ibn Umar, he used to like to say the salam after the imam had said it. Not at the same time that the imam is saying, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah on his right side and the ma'moom goes at the same time? No. But rather, what did he prefer? Right after. This is similar to every other position of salah. Every other movement. That the sahaba, when is it that they would go into sujood? When the Prophet ﷺ, you know, he had already touched the floor. When he had touched the ground, he was in sujood, then they would begin going down into sujood. So immediately after. حدثنا حبان بن موسى قال أخبرنا عبد الله قال أخبرنا معمر عن الزهري عن محمود بن الربيع عن عتبان قال صلينا مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم He said that we prayed with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم فسلمنا حين سلم And we said the taslim when he said the taslim Meaning not before him, not five minutes after him, two minutes after him Rather with him and it's understood that uh, when he said it, then they said it meaning immediately after. Shaykh Munasaymin, he said that the scholar said, it is makruh to say the first and second taslim with your imam. Meaning don't say it at the same time. But if you say the first taslim, after his first taslim, after his second taslim, there is nothing wrong with that. You understand? So you should always be just one step behind. Because as ma'moom, we are followers. And a follower does not step ahead of the leader, nor does he stand next to the leader. He is rather just, you know, one step behind. So as soon as he moves to the second taslim, the ma'moom should begin the first taslim. Bab malam yara, the one who did not see radda salam, meaning did not consider radda salam, returning the salam, 
ala al-imam to the imam. Meaning if the imam is saying assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, should the ma'moom say wa alaykum assalamu wa rahmatullah? But the imam is saying assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Waktafa and he sufficed bi taslim salah with the taslim of the prayer. Meaning he considered that to be sufficient. Meaning, those who did not consider it mandatory to return the salam of the imam. Because the imam is saying salam out loud. So the mu'mum, are they required to say wa alaykum as-salam? No. Each person is going to say their own taslim. People are not going to start returning one another's taslim. Okay? And now here's the question is that when a person is saying the taslim, what intention does he have? So for example, the imam, is he greeting the people praying behind him? And the ma'moom who has just heard the imam, is he responding to the imam? Uh, what niyyah should the musalli have when he says the taslim? حدثنا عبدان قال أخبرنا عبد الله قال أخبرنا معمر عن الزهري قال أخبرني محمود بن الربيع وزعم أنه عقل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم He says about the narrator Mahmud bin Rabir, the companion of the Prophet ﷺ, that he's the same one who said that he remembers that the Messenger ﷺ, meaning he remembered, he remembered that majjatan. Majjah? What is majjah? To spit out a mouthful of water. That he remembered that the Prophet ﷺ, he spat a mouthful of water, majjaha, he spat it, Min Dalwin from a water bucket, Kanafi Darihim, which was in their home. This hadith has been mentioned earlier. Just reference is being made that Mahmud bin Rabir is the same one who said that the Prophet ﷺ spat out the uh, water from his mouth, from the bucket that he had. Okay? And basically, Imam Bukhari is linking two different ahadith over here that it's the same person. Okay? Now, we learned that once his companion, who was very, very young at that time, still a child, under the age of 10, perhaps 5 or something, very, very young, the Prophet ﷺ was performing wudu in their house, from a water bucket that was in their house, and this companion, as a young child, he's just watching the Prophet ﷺ do wudu. Can you imagine children doing that? It's very natural, right? And especially when a guest has come, right? And they're even drinking water from a cup, children just stare at them. Right? So this Sahabi, very young child, looking at the Prophet ﷺ, and he was performing wudu. So when he was rinsing his mouth, he spat the water on this companion, this young child. Now you might say that's considered rude. No, in that culture it was not considered rude. Okay? It was not considered rude at all. And remember that these things vary from culture to culture. This doesn't mean that we start doing this to the children who are around us. They might get offended. Uh, you have to see what is culturally acceptable. But the Prophet ﷺ, he felt that there was no problem, so he spat out this uh, water on this young companion. So anyway, this companion, he said that, سَمِعْتُ عِتْبَانَ ibn Malikin الْأَنصَارِيَّةِ I heard Itban ibn Malik al-Ansari. ثُمَّ أَحَدَ بَنِي سَالِمٍ He said that Itban ibn Malik, meaning he was... One of Ahada Bani Salim. He was one of the Banu Salim. He was from that tribe. Qala he said, Ridban ibn Malik, he said that, Kuntu usalli li Bani Salim. I used to pray for my people, 
which people banu salim pray for them meaning lead them in the salah so he used to lead his people in the salah fa ataitu nabiy sallallahu alayhi wasallam so one day i came to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam faqultu so i said inni indeed i ankartu basari my basar my vision is ankartu rejecting me meaning it's becoming weak i'm losing my eyesight wa inna suyul and indeed the flood waters sail what is sail fahtamala as-sail zabada ar-rabiya in surah ar-ra'd we learn sail flood water sail open up surah ar-ra'd find this ayah anzala min as-samaa'i ma'an fasalat salat awdiyatun biqadriha fahtamala as-sail in surah ar-ra'd ayah number 17 yes so anzala min as-samaa'i ma'an fasalat awdiyatun biqadriha fahtamala as-sail zabada ar-rabiya he sent down water from the sky fasalat awdiyatun the ravines the valleys they salat they flooded meaning they got filled with water biqadriha according to their capacity so those that were deep and vast they had more water and those that were not deep not that wide they didn't carry they didn't contain much water fahtamala hmm? as-sailu then the flood it bore on itself zabadan foam rabia rising because as the water moves as it flows what happens the scum the foam rises to the surface and also the garbage it comes to the surface remember now you remember okay good so he said that in the suyul the flood waters tahulu they intervene baini between me wa baina masjidi qaumi and between the masjid of my people meaning when it rains then the streets are flooded and the masjid of my people meaning in my locality where i live in, the, in that vicinity the masjid that we have where i lead them in prayer it gets too difficult for me to go there because a my vision is weak it's becoming weaker and weaker and secondly when there's so much water then it's dangerous for me to go it's difficult for me to go falawaditu so i really really want that annaka jitta that you come for sallayta fi bayti makanan and you pray at my house in a particular place hatta because until attakhidahu i can make it masjidan a place of salah meaning i can take that spot in my house as a masjid for myself for those times when i cannot go to my masjid and i can just pray over here now you might wonder why doesn't he go to the masjid of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam anyway because at that time there were no cars okay and even if a place was let's say uh, just 2 miles away or something that it would mean a long walk right for us 2 miles means 2 minutes maximum 3 4 minutes but walking 2 miles have you ever tried that i mean it gets difficult right so, and the people were supposed to pray in congregation so those who were able to make it to the masjid of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam they would pray there and those who were not able to make it there because of the distance they had their own masajid where they would pray in congregation all right and remember that this is the excuse with which the munafiqeen came right that we want to have a mosque so please o prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam can you come and pray over there 
but their intention was not sincere. It was for other purposes that, that they wanted to establish that center. So anyway, this companion, he said, that I really want you to come to my house so that you can pray over there and where you will pray, that place I will take as a masjid. So the times when I am not able to go to my masjid, I will pray at home. فَقَالَ So he said, أَفْعَلُوا إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهِ The Prophet ﷺ said, I will do that if Allah wills. فَغَدَى عَلَيَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ وَأَبُوْ بَكْرٍ مَعَهُ He said that then one day in the morning, the Prophet ﷺ came to my house and Abu Bakr was with him. At what time did they come? بَعْدَ After مَا ذَاتْ إِشْتَدَّ النَّهَارِ The day had إِشْتَدَّ The day had intensified, meaning it was bright outside. The day had fully risen. The sun had fully risen. It wasn't early morning. It wasn't Zuhr time. It was somewhere between that. فَاسْتَأْذَنَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ And when the Prophet ﷺ arrived, he took permission. فَأَذِنْتُ لَهُ So I allowed him. He took permission to enter and I allowed him. Who is taking permission? The Prophet ﷺ. To enter the house of one of his companions. Even he is following the rules. And فَأَذِنْتُلَ The companion is allowing him. فَلَمْ يَجْلِسْ So the Prophet ﷺ did not sit. حَتَّى until قَالَ He said, أَيْنَ تُحِبُّ أَنْ أُصَلِّيَ مِنْ بَيْتِكَ Where would you like me to pray in your house? Because he came for the purpose of salah. So he didn't sit. Rather, first thing he wanted to do was pray. And that is the etiquette of going to the masjid also, right? That when you go to the masjid, you don't sit until you have performed two rakah. فَأَشَارَ إِلَيْهِ So he pointed to him, مِنَ الْمَكَانِ To the place, الَّذِي أَحَبَّ أَنْ يُصَلِّيَ فِيهِ The place where he loved that the Prophet ﷺ should pray there. فَقَامَ So the Prophet ﷺ stood. فَصَفَفْنَا خَلْفَهُ And we formed rows behind him. ثُمَّ سَلَّمَ And then the Prophet ﷺ said the taslim, meaning he ended the prayer. وَسَلَّمْنَا حِينَ سَلَّمْ And we said the taslim when he said the taslim. Okay, so over here also in this hadith we see that salah was being performed and the sahaba only said the salam when the Prophet ﷺ had said it. And they did not return the salam of the Prophet ﷺ. Rather, what did they do? They all made their own taslim. In a hadith in Muslim we learned that Jabir ibn Samura, he said that when we prayed with the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, When we prayed with him, we used to say, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Meaning they would not say, Wa alaykum as-salam. Rather they would say, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. And the narrator Jabir ibn Samura, he said that, meaning when he said these words, he gestured with his hand to either side. So basically he indicated that when we said the salam to the right, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, we also raised the hand. Okay, And when we said the salam to the other side, we raised the hand. Why did they raise their hands? Why? Okay, good. You know, when you greet someone, uh, one is that you use words, and the other is that you just gesture with your hand, wa alaykum salam that you have heard their greeting and you're responding. So, Jabir bin Samura said that we would do that. We would say the taslim and we would also gesture with our hands as if they were returning the greeting of the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Why do you gesture with your hands as if they were the tails of horses? Hmm? Raising them up. This is not the tail of a horse, you're praying. 
you should not be raising your hands over here. He said, rather it is sufficient for one of you to put his hand on his thigh. Meaning, leave your hands on your thighs. Don't raise your hands. And then say salam to his brothers, to his right and left. So this shows that the mu'mum, when he's saying the greeting at the end of the prayer, he's not just saying the taslim to the imam, but rather also to the people on his right and to his left. So each person is making his own taslim. You're not responding to the greeting of one another only. Imam al-Nawawi said that the words of the Prophet ﷺ, then say salams to his brothers to his right and left, refer to his fellow worshippers who are present on his right and on his left. So this shows to us that when we are saying the taslim, who are we greeting? Who are we greeting? Is it the angels? Is it the people who are present in the masjid? Is it the imam? Who is it? Everybody. Everybody. This is just like in the tashahud, what do we say? As-salamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin. All the righteous servants of Allah. And from hadith, what do we learn? That that includes all the servants in the sky and in the earth. Hmm? So likewise, this taslim at the end includes everybody. Ibn Qudama said that he should intend when saying the salam to exit the prayer. So what intention do we have when we're saying the taslim? That this is the end of my prayer. And if he also intends alongside that to respond to the two angels who are recording the deeds and to those who are behind him if he is the imam or to the imam and the other people with him if he is a member of the congregation, there is nothing wrong with that. Okay? So there is nothing wrong with that. That when you're saying the taslim, you intend to send salam on who? All the servants of Allah present in the masjid and also outside the masjid. There is no haraj in that. But remember that one should not say, وَعَلَيْكُمُ السَّلَامُ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ What should he say? As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. The imam, the ma'moom, the munfarid, everyone is required to say these words because this is what the Prophet ﷺ taught. Now after the taslim comes, bab al-dhikri ba'da salah Dhikr after the salah. Before we move on to that, I want you to think about the beginning of the prayer and the end of the prayer. How does a prayer begin? Allahu Akbar. Right? And how does the prayer end? As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. When is it that you say salam to someone? When you meet them. Because as-salamu qabla al-kalam. Salam comes before any talking. Right? So it's as though when a person is performing the salah, he is cut off from the rest of the world. He's not going to talk to them. Right? Because you cannot speak to people who are around you during your salah. You can only say the words of salah. Correct? And then once you end your salah, you say, okay, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Now I can talk to you. You understand? One more thing I want you to think about the salah. What is it that you're saying in salah, basically? Throughout the salah. Takbir, tasbih, tahmid, qiraatul quran istighfar. There's so much istighfar. If you think about it in the dua of istiftah, when you say the takbir, Allahumma ba'id bayni wa bayna khatayaya. You're basically asking for forgiveness in that dua. Right? In rukur. Subhanakallahumma rabbana wa bihamdik. Allahumma khairli. 
in the sajda also same between the two prostrations at the end of the salah right before the salam what dua did the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam teach abu bakr ورمن كثيرا ولا يغفر الذنوب الا انت فاغفر لي مغفره من عندك وارحمني انك انت الغفور الرحيم so if you think about it, the entire prayer is about glorifying allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right seeking forgiveness from him and right after the salah also what do you say allahu akbar astaghfirullah 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 so adhikri ba'da salah dhikr after the prayer Now this bab includes two things. Dhikr ba'da salah. That first of all, the evidence of dhikr, thubut of dhikr, meaning after the salah, uh, this is something that we should do. After salah, a person should not just you know, go on talking to other people and go about his daily tasks. No, after salah, he should spend some time doing dhikr. And this is something that we are ordered to do in the Quran also. Where in the Quran have we been commanded to do dhikr after salah? Okay, good. Surah An-Nisa, where? What's the ayah? Or part of the ayah? فَإِذَا قَضَيْتُمُ الصَّلَاةَ فَاذْكُرُ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِكُمْ Surah An-Nisa, ayah 103. That when you have ended the prayer, فَاذْكُرُ اللَّهَ Then remember Allah. Do dhikr. قِيَامًا Standing, وَقُعُودًا Sitting, وَعَلَى جُنُوبِكُمْ And also lying down. So after salah, there should be dhikr. Whether a person can do that dhikr while sitting in that place, or he does that dhikr after moving from that place. But he should do dhikr after salah. Likewise, in Surah Qaf, Ayah 40, وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَسَبِّحْهُ وَأَدْبَارَ السُّجُودِ In a portion of the night, do his tasbih, and also after the prostrations. And where are the prostrations? In the salah. So after those prostrations are over, meaning after that salah is over, what should a person do? Dhikr. Dhikr ba'da salah. Secondly, we have to look at the kaifiyah of that dhikr. That what is the way of doing that dhikr? What dhikr is it that we must do? How should we do it? In what order? And this is something that we learn about in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And in the ahadith that we will see over here, we learn that when a person ends the prayer, What dhikr should he do? He should begin with the takbir, Allahu Akbar, followed by istighfar. How many times? Three times. Why istighfar? If or mistakes only. What if you didn't make any mistakes? For any deficiency? Because the salah definitely was not as it should have been. Right? Because we're human beings. No matter how much we try, there's always some kind of deficiency in our salah. Because we're human beings. Right? So we seek Allah's forgiveness for that deficiency. that For that disrespect that we were standing before Him, taking His name, mentioning Him, glorifying Him, and yet we were distracted. Or yet for a moment or two we thought about something else. So, seeking forgiveness for our shortcoming. Our salah was not free of deficiency. And then after that, what do we learn from the sunnah? That a person should say, Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakta ya al-jalali wal-ikram. What does that mean? Oh Allah, you are peace. From you is all peace. Right? 
Why are you saying that after salah? Okay, you said Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah okay, to the entire creation basically. You can't say salam to Allah. You can only praise Allah for his sifa of salam. So Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam. And also because you're asking Allah for salama, for the salama of your salah that you have just performed. That, oh Allah, please accept it. And pardon any kind of you know shortcoming in that salah. Preserve that prayer because only you can preserve things. You are the source of peace. And remember that salam doesn't just mean peace. What else does it mean? Safety, security. So secure this prayer uh, for me, meaning accept it. And any uh, you know shortcoming, anything that was left left out, please pardon that. And then after this, we do more dhikr for which there is no set order, but there are many adhkar that we learn about uh, that a person can read after his salah. Uh, one more thing before we move on to the ahadith. Al-dhikri ba'da salah. Notice it is not al-du'a ba'da salah. Why? There has been du'a throughout the salah and especially, especially when? Before the taslim. Because earlier we learned that the Prophet ﷺ instructed that he should, a person may choose any dua that he likes and fayad'u. He should make dua for himself. So, the dua should be made before the taslim. Okay? And after the taslim, what should be done? Dhikr. Dua is when? Before the salam. And after the salam is time for dhikr. Unless obviously there is some dua which the Prophet ﷺ made after salah, which he taught that one should say after salah, then that is understood. But it is not reported any hadith that the Prophet ﷺ would raise his hands and make dua after salah. After salah, what is best? Dhikr. In a hadith we learned that Mu'adh ibn Jabal who said that the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, he took his hand. Mu'adh ibn Jabal said, the Prophet ﷺ took my hand and he said, O oh Mu'adh, by Allah, I love you. By Allah, I love you. By Allah, I love you. He said this two times. And then he said, I urge you, O oh Mu'adh, to never stop saying at the end of every salah, Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. That, O oh Allah, help me to remember you, give thanks to you, and worship you in the best way. So he said this to Mu'adh bin Jabal, I love you by Allah, I love you twice. And he advised him, make this dua after every salah. So, you can make dua after salah. Okay? But which duas? The Prophet ﷺ taught. And any other dua that you wish. But remember that the best time to make dua is before the taslim. حدثنا إسحاق بن نصر قال حدثنا عبد الرزاق قال أخبرنا ابن جريج قال أخبرني عمر أن أبا معبد مولى ابن عباس أخبره أن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما أخبره أن رفع الصوت So Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنه he told his freed slave Abu Ma'bad that رفع الصوت بالذكر رفع الصوت raising the voice بالذكر with the ذكر meaning to say ذكر out loud حين at the time when ينصرف الناس the people go away Min al-maktuba from the maktuba. Going away over here means finishing the salah. And maktuba means 
fard salah, mandatory salah. So raising the voice with zikr after people end the fard prayer, Ibn Abbas said that this, kana, it used to be, ala ahdin nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This used to be at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Meaning it's not an innovation, this was something that was done even at that time. What? That when the people would end their prayer, they would say dhikr. And how would they say dhikr? How? Softly? They would say it out loud. Not that a person has to say it really loud, but that it should be, it should be heard. It should not be silent. Salah has to be silent. So for example, tashahud, when a person is sitting, how is it that he should be making dua? Silently. But once the salah has ended, then how should the dhikr be made? Loud. Why? Hmm? Okay. Others are reminded. Why else? Other people are reminded that, okay, this is time to do dhikr, so everybody do dhikr. Why else? It shows that the salah has ended. The congregation has, the salatul jama'ah has ended. For those who are coming in, it's clear to them there. And if anybody missed the taslim, they didn't hear the imam, then the loud dhikr would tell them, oh, the salah has ended. Clear? You look very tired and sleepy. What's wrong today? Huh? Are you tired? Then what's the matter? Why aren't you responding to me? Why do I have to repeat my question like three, four times to get an answer from you? Be alert, please. Okay, so he said that this was at the time of the Prophet وسلم, Abbas, Ibn Abbas said, Kuntu a'lamu, I would know that I would know that they had finished the prayer when I heard the dhikr. So he said basically that when I heard that loud dhikr, I knew that salah was finished. It was over. So from this hadith, what do we learn? First of all, is there dhikr after salah? Yes. Secondly, how is that to be done? Loudly. What else do we learn about dhikr after salah? حدثنا علي بن عبد الله قال حدثنا سفيان عن عمر قال أخبرني أبو معمد عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما قال كنت أعرف he said that I would know انقضاء الصلاة انقضاء الصلاة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بالتكبير I would know the انقضاء meaning the conclusion the ending of the prayer of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم with the تكبير when I heard him saying الله أكبر I knew that the prayer had ended Okay, so this shows that a person may raise his voice when doing dhikr and he would do this also for the purpose of ta'aleem, for the purpose of teaching people that this is the dhikr that they should say after salah. Okay, and this shows to us that uh, if dhikr is read out loud for the purpose of ta'aleem, then this is correct. There's no problem with that. Because sometimes people feel a little hesitant that everybody is saying dua out loud. Is this okay? Hmm? Why? Isn't it a bid'ah? Did the sahaba ever do this? Everybody's reading du'as together or you know, reading them like Quran. Is this permissible? You know, a person might have this question in their heart or this feeling of discomfort. So 
We see that for the purpose of learning. The intention is what? Learn. Practice. So, with this intention, it is okay. But it shouldn't be that every time people are supposed to make dua, they make it out loud, together, in a chorus. So, for example, every time you finish your meal, you know, everybody sitting over there says a dua out loud in a chorus. It's been 15 years you've been saying it, and you still say it like that. No, once children have learned, then everybody should say it independently. Okay? So, for example... In this class, when we come here together, many times you're made to say the du'as out loud. What is the purpose? What's the objective? And we turn the lights off and we close our eyes and we uh, start saying du'a like that? Is that the purpose? No. What's the purpose? Look at the text, read the text, say it out loud, hear with your own voice, hear other people, because the more senses you involve, the quicker your learning will be. And have you felt that difference? When you memorize a dua in class, as opposed to memorizing it on your own, what sticks better? When you do it with everybody. You know the duas that I memorized when I was a student in class, those duas I know till today, alhamdulillah. But the duas that I've you know, sat on my own and memorized, what happens every now and then, I have to review. Because they, they don't sometimes stick because who have I heard just myself or perhaps not even myself because I was trying to memorize silently but when everybody is reading together loudly then what happens you you remember حدثنا محمد بن أبي بكر قال حدثنا معتمر عن عبيد الله عن سمين عن أبي صالح عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه he said, The poor companions that came to the Prophet ﷺ, so they said, The poor companions He has gone, meaning they have taken this. Who? Ahlud Dusur. The people of Dusur. Dusur is a, is a plural word and it basically means treasures, money. And which Dusur? Which treasures? Minal Amwal. Of wealth. So basically, people of riches, the people who have money, the people who are wealthy, they have gone off with الدرجات العلا, high darajat. High darajat, meaning in Jannah, or high darajat near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. والنعيم المقيم, and blessings that are muqeem, that are everlasting. They've made their homes in Jannah, where they're going to have permanent blessings. How? Why do they say that? They said because these people, the wealthy ones, يُصَلُّونَ كَمَا نُصَلِّي They pray just as we pray. وَيَصُومُونَ كَمَا نَصُومُ And they fast just as we fast. وَلَهُمْ And for them is فَضْلٌ Superiority مِنْ أَمْوَالٍ Of wealth. Meaning they have money. Which we don't have. And with that money, يَحُجُّونَ بِهَا They do hajj with it. وَيَعْتَمِرُونَ And they also do umrah. وَيُجَاهِدُونَ And they also do jihad. وَيَتَصَدَّقُونَ And they also give in charity. Meaning with that money, they're able to do all of these things which we can't do basically. قَالَ He said, أَلَا أُحَدِّثُكُمْ بِأَمْرٍ Should I not tell you about something? إِنْ أَخَذْتُمْ بِهِ If you hold on to it, أَدْرَكْتُمْ You can catch up with مَنْ سَبَقَكُمْ Who has gone ahead of you. 
وَلَمْ يُدْرِكُمْ أَحَدٌ And none can catch up with you بَعْدَكُمْ after you No one can basically come at your level if you do this. وَكُنْتُمْ And you would be خَيْرَ best of مَنْ أَنْتُمْ You are بَيْنَ ظُهْرَانَيْهِ Amongst بَيْنَ ظُهْرَانَيْهِ basically means in between, amongst. So basically you would be the best of the people whom you are living in. If you perform this action. إِلَّا except for مَنْ عَمِلَ The one who does similar to it. Meaning except for someone who will do exactly what you're doing. So what is that action? Which if you do, you would get ahead of everybody. تُسَبِّحُونَ You would do tasbih. You do tasbih. وَتَحْمَدُونَ And you do hamd. وَتُكَبِّرُونَ And you say takbir. خَلْفَ After كُلِّ صَلَاتٍ Every prayer, ثَلَاثًا وَثَلَاثِينَ Thirty-three times. If you say this thirty-three times, each, these three adhkar, which ones? Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. After every salah, then you're basically getting ahead of who? Those people who go for hajj regularly, who do umrah regularly, who give in charity, who go for jihad, who spend their money in the way of Allah, you're going to get ahead of them. If you do this dhikr. So the sahaba, فَاخْتَلَفْنَا بَيْنَنَا Abu Huraira said that we differed amongst ourselves. فَقَالَ بَعْضُنَا Some of us said, نُسَبِّحُ ثَلَاثًا وَثَلَاثِينَ we say tasbih 33 times, وَنَحْمَدُ ثَلَاثًا وَثَلَاثِينَ And we say Alhamdulillah 33 times, وَنُكَبِّرُ أَرْبَعًا وَثَلَاثِينَ And we say Allahu Akbar 34 times. So there was a confusion. Some people said, no, no, he said 33 times. Another said that, no, 34 times you have to say Allahu Akbar. Because you have to make it a hundred. فَرَجَعْتُ إِلَيْهِ So I went back to him. فَقَالَ So he said, تَقُولُ سُبْحَانَ اللَّهُ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهُ وَاللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ You say all of these Meaning each of them, you say them how many times? 33 times. Because when you say each of them 33 times, what's what's the total that you have? And that is an odd number. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with it and He loves with it. So this is what we learn from this hadith. That say it how many times? 33 times each. And then you say, La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lahu al-mulku wa lahu alhamdu wa huwa ala kulli shayin qadir. Once... And then the total number of adhkar that you've done is how many? 100. Now in other versions you learn that Allahu Akbar has to be said how many times? 34 times. So then what do we do? Both. Sometimes 34 times. Sometimes 33 times. Okay? You know what our problem is? We just want to learn one fixed way and just do that only. Unfortunately, we have become like this in our lives also. Right? I wear only this style of abaya, for example. And only this. Nothing but this. Hmm? Or I cook in this way and only this way and nothing but this. You know, it's good to adopt this habit when it comes to things that don't make much of a difference in your life. Or they're not that, you know, they're not a big deal. But when it comes to something that can bring you more ajr, or something that will make you more conscious and alert about what you're saying, what you're doing, then adopt that variety. You will begin to enjoy life. Really you will. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us you know, this variety. For example, if you say, no, no, I only like this kind of apple, so I will only buy this apple. And if this kind of apple is not at the grocery store, 
I'm not buying the other apples. I don't know what they taste like. What if they are like this and what if they are like that? No, it's okay. If you don't find your favorite apple, go ahead, try the green ones. Yes, they might be a little strong in their taste, but you might enjoy it. You be open to variety. As long as it is allowed. Right? Uh, just as, you know, we only eat chicken. No, eat other halal meats also. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made camel halal. He made deer halal. He made, uh, you know, different, different animals halal for us. So eat them. Right? Likewise, when it comes to milk. If we hear about sheep milk, goat milk, really? Yes. That is also permissible. That is also part of an'am. Okay? So, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us so many different options, what is best? Use those blessings. Be grateful for them. So likewise, when it comes to ibadah, when there's so much variety of adhkar, don't say, no, no, but I learned 34 times. Okay, do it 34 times, but this version also tells us, you can say 33 times. Right? So maintain that, uh, you know, that tanawwah, that variety in ibadah also. Okay, now in this hadith, what is it that we learn? First of all, about this dhikr after salah, which is uh, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, allahu akbar. 33 times each. From this hadith, this is what we learn. And uh, the order is what? First tasbih, then tahmid, and then takbir. And this is, uh, you know, the order generally in other adhkar or du'as also, that you begin with glorification. You begin with tasbih, with mentioning Allah's perfection, then praising Him, and then glorifying Him. Hmm? Uh, meaning His ta'zim. And this is the order that should be maintained when, when we're doing this dhikr also. That first say subhanallah, then alhamdulillah, and then Allahu Akbar. 33 times each. Okay. Uh, what else do we learn in this hadith? About the fuqara companions. That when they came to the Prophet sallallahu they complained to him basically. That these people are getting ahead of us. Was this complaint, this shakwa out of anger? They were worried about themselves and it was, you can say this is called ghibta. That you are envious but in a good way. Not envious as in, why is it that they can do this and we can't do this? No. This is, you know, when a person complains, why is it that she can do this and I cannot? Why is it that he has this and I do not? This is incorrect, this kind of approach. Why? Because this is questioning whose decree? Allah's decree. But complaining about the fact that I'm getting left behind, what can I do? Not that others should be pulled back, but rather, I don't know what else to do. That I need to know how I can catch up with the people who've gone ahead of me. This is something that is good. Because what does it show? Eagerness to do more good, right? And look at the eagerness of the companions. They're not concerned about, oh, they have their own house now. And they've even bought this animal. And now they've got these many children. What about us? Why are we behind in worldly standards? Hmm? What was their competition in? وَفِي ذَلِكَ فَلْيَتَنَافَسِ الْمُتَنَافِسُ In good deeds. 
They didn't see, oh, now she has a new phone, so I have to get one as well. No. Their concern is, they've gone for Umrah again this year, and I haven't been in 10 years. They've gone for Hajj again, with the fadl of Allah, and I haven't gone. Why? Why have I not gone? Why have I not gone? Is it because it's not a priority? That is dangerous. Because Umrah after Umrah, what does it do? Washes your sins. Right? Hajj after Hajj, that is also something that cleans a person. Right? And if it's financial reasons, then it is something that a person feels sad about himself. But over there, we shouldn't say, oh, what can I do? Too bad. I don't have the money. And woe is me. And, you know, I'm so poor. And no, not feeling pity for oneself, but rather thinking about what else can I do in order to make up for the reward that I'm missing out on? What else can I do? This is similar to how if a person, you know, is living in a house and they realize that they have no furniture in their living room, what do they say? Oh, never mind. It's okay. I cannot afford that $3,000 couch. Yeah? What will they do? Tell me, what is it that we do in the matters of the world to make up for what we don't have? We go in Kijiji. Right? We ask our friends. We find out there's someone you know, moving sale. Okay, you can get something 50% off. Right? We make an effort. We don't settle with less when it comes to worldly things. When it comes to Akhirah, the Sahaba, they never settled with less. They didn't say, oh, I cannot afford to give charity, so I'm not required to. When it comes to deen, our approach is generally, okay, what is fard on me? Okay, done, done, done. This is something that does not apply to me because I'm not wealthy enough. No. If they could not do something, they felt bad. Remember the companions who couldn't go for tabuk? They were crying. And their crying is mentioned in the Qur'an. Right? So, you know, as we worry about our home in this world, we should also worry about our home in the Akhirah. Because notice how they mentioned Na'im al-Muqeem. They're going to get Na'im Muqeem. Blessings that are going to stay forever. Forever in Jannah. But unfortunately, we are settled with the blessings that we have here temporarily. So the Sahaba, look at how eager they were. And and this is a lesson for us that if we are not able to do something because of the situation that we are in, look for a different option. Look for a different option. If, for example, we are not able to study you know, take a particular course. Doesn't mean that we're going to remain jahil and ignorant of that beautiful, noble science of our religion. Others are learning and we remain ignorant? No, I don't want to remain ignorant. I also want to learn. I also want to make sure that I get this knowledge. Others are getting ahead of me. So, okay, I cannot get into into this five you know day course, full full full-time course. What is it that I can do? If not this, then what? If not this, then what? Always. 
Because this is what will bring Na'im al-Muqeem. So the Sahaba, they were eager to learn about what else they could do and the Prophet ﷺ taught them. And this also shows to us that there's always plan B. There's always another option. We think that if things are not going according to you know, our way or our wish, then there's no other way. No, there are many different ways. إِنَّ سَعْيَكُمْ لَشَتَّى Everyone's effort is different. Everyone's you know, skill is different. Everyone can contribute in a different way. Everyone can earn hasanat in a different way. It's not one fixed way. Right? We think only when we have money, then we can do this, this. No, don't wait for that money. Think about what you can do right now. Likewise, we think that, you know, when I am able to get up in the night and pray tahajjud, then I will recite the Qur'an. You know, the Prophet ﷺ advised Abu Hurairah to pray with it and then sleep. So Abu Hurairah, he would say with it, he would read his with it, generally, after Isha. And then he would sleep. Which means that he would not get up for tahajjud regularly. You understand why? Because Abu Hurairah was a student. He would learn a lot. He would study a lot. And if he would keep getting up in the night, every day on a consistent basis, then it would be difficult for him to learn. Alright? And then we see that the Prophet ﷺ on certain occasions, he prayed the duha prayer, which is called duha prayer. Why? The scholars have said that the reason why he prayed the duha prayer those few times was because he was not able to perform those nawafil in the night. So if he was not able to do so at night, he made up for it when? In the morning. You understand? Because between Isha and Fajr is quite a long time. Okay, uh, Yes, in the summer it's not for us, but uh, if you think about it, uh, Isha and Fajr and then Fajr to Zuhr, it's a long gap. And there is no prescribed prayer. But there is the option of voluntary prayer. Either perform voluntary prayer between Isha and Fajr or between Fajr and Zuhr. If not Isha and Fajr, then take the other option. So if we're not able to get up for tahajjud, then at least when we get up in the morning and go to the masjid, then what can we do? Pray to nafil, for nafil, how much ever is possible. So at least do what you can. If you cannot get up in the middle of the night, okay. You have issues with your sleep, you have to really fight with your sleep. Some people don't have to struggle that much, but others do. So if you cannot do that, then in the morning when you get up, Pray two nafal, four nafal. So always be open-minded. Keep looking for options. Don't settle with, oh, too bad. I missed it again. I missed it again. I can't do this and I can't do this. We handicap ourselves. Almost we take pride in the fact that we cannot do something. We identify ourselves with that. But people who want to accomplish something in life, they don't settle with less. They're always looking for options. If not this, then that. So the Sahaba were taught this dhikr that after salah, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, 33 times each. حدثنا محمد بن يوسف قال حدثنا سفيان عن عبد الملك بن عمير عن وراد كاتب المغيرة بن شعبة قال أملا علي المغيرة بن شعبة في كتاب إلى معاوية 
he said that Mughira ibn Shu'bah dictated to me in a letter to Muawiyah. So basically, Warrad, he was a scribe, he was a katib of Mughira ibn Shu'bah. And Mughira ibn Shu'bah, the companion of the Prophet ﷺ, he told his scribe to write something. To write a letter. Write a letter to who? Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. And what is it that he told him to write in the letter? That Anna Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana yaqulu that the Prophet ﷺ used to say fi duburi kulli salatin maktubatin after every maktuba salah what would he say? La ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharika lah lahu al-mulku wa lahu al-hamd wa huwa ala kulli shay'in qadir Allahumma la mani'a lima a'atayta wa la mu'atiya lima man'ata wa la yanfa'u dal jaddi minkal jadd that there is no God but Allah alone with no partner. The kingdom and praise belong to Him and He has power over everything. O Allah, none can withhold what you give nor give what you withhold and the wealth of someone who has it is of no avail against you. وَقَالَ شُعْبَةُ And Shu'bah said عَنْ عَبْدِ الْمَلِكِ بِهَذَا وَعَنِ الْحَكَمِ عَنِ الْقَاسِمِ بْنِ مُخَيْمِرَةَ عَنْ وَرَّادٍ بِهَذَا وَقَالَ حَسَنُ الْجَدُّ غِنَا So in this hadith what do we learn? That uh, Mughira ibn Shu'bah He is sending a letter To another companion And he's sharing with him What the Prophet ﷺ used to say After every salah So see how the companions shared The knowledge they had with one another How? Sometimes through words And sometimes through letters Now sending letters at that time Was not like typing an email And clicking send It meant what? First of all, getting it written because everybody could not write. Have you ever had somebody write something for you? No, alhamdulillah, because you can write yourself. But sometimes it happens that some people are not that computer literate and they need the help of their children or their friends to write something for them. How difficult it is. Hmm? And then somebody has to take that letter, sit on a horse or a camel and journey and travel for at least some time and get that letter to the other side. So you would only send something that was necessary, that was worth it. So the Sahaba considered worth it to share something of ilm with another. Because ilm is something beneficial. So this is something that we can do also. The du'as that we learn, the sunan that we learn, share that with others. And these days, alhamdulillah, sending an email, how difficult is that? Only as difficult as we make it. Right? So he said this is what the Prophet ﷺ used to say after every salah. Salat maktuba. And which one is that? Fard salah. Do you know this dhikr? Hmm? Okay. So first, La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la. This one. And then immediately after that, Allahumma la mani'a lima a'atayta wa la mu'atiya lima mana'ata wa la yanfa'u dal jad. Jad. What does jad mean? وَقَالَ الْحَسَنُ الْجَدُّ غِنَى What is غِنَى? To be rich, to be mighty, to have wealth, to be free of need of the other, independent of the other. So لَا يَنْفَعُ It cannot benefit who? The jad, the possessor of jad, meaning the one who has wealth, the one who has might. It cannot benefit him. What cannot benefit him? مِنْكَ against you الْجَدُّ Meaning, al-jadd cannot benefit him, minka. His wealth, his might, his power cannot benefit him, minka, against you, O Allah. Meaning, everyone, no matter how wealthy, no matter how 
powerful they might be, they are needy before you. They are powerless before you. Why say this after salah? Money cannot benefit. It's good deeds that benefit. So, O oh Allah, accept this good deed. Because none can enter Jannah without Allah's mercy. And how is it that a person earns his mercy? Through making money? Through making a perfectly set house? Huh? Then what? Through good deeds. Now, this is the dhikr that the Prophet ﷺ would say after every salah. And after fajr, after fajr we learned that this statement, uh, a shorter version of this, should be said ten times. In a hadith in a silsilat al-sahihah we learn that the Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever said, La ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharika lah, lahu al-mulku wa lahu al-hamdu wa huwa ala kulli shay'in qadir. Ten times. Okay, just up to qadir, ten times. Then Allah will write for him ten good deeds and remove from him ten sins and raise him ten ranks. And he will get the reward equivalent to freeing two slaves from the children of Ismail. And if he says it, when he reaches evening, he gets the like of that in reward. And for him is a hijab, meaning a barrier from shaitan until he reaches the morning. So basically ten times after Fajr. Okay, And also in the evening one should say this. And when he will say this in the evening, it will be a source of protection for him also until the morning. Now when it comes to Maghrib, after Maghrib, we learn that in another hadith which is in At-Tirmidhi, and this is also an authentic hadith, uh, Hassan hadith, that the Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever says, La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah, lahu al-mulku wa lahu al-hamd, yuhyi wa yumit, wa huwa ala kulli shay'in qadir. Ten times, then at the end of Maghrib, Allah shall send for him protectors to guard him from shaitan until he reaches the morning. And Allah will write for him ten good deeds, and he will wipe from him ten of the destructive sins, and it shall be for him the equal of freeing ten believing slaves. Alright? So we see that after every salah, what should be said? So for Zuhr, Asr, and Isha, what should be said? لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير اللهم لا مانع لما أعطيت ولا معطي لما منعت ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد How many times? Once After Fajr What should be said? لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير How many times? Ten times After Maghrib What should be said? لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد يحي ويميت وهو على كل شيء قدير How many times? Ten times. Now the sheet that was given to you today, Adkar after Salah, Alhamdulillah, this is all written over there with the references and as well as the number of times. So with this we will conclude today's class, inshallah, and in our next class we will go over the Adkar that should be said after Salah. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.